Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, and I'm joined, as usual, in the cockpit of this magnificent airplane by my co-pilot, uh, basically, uh, he could fly this thing, like I said, on his own, but he prefers to sit in the right seat and listen and watch me make mistakes. Uh, awesome Ward, you know him as Austin Ward. Awesome. Welcome once again to the Tim May uh, podcast. Well, after driving that uh, Letterman Road ground jet over to Rutgers and back, I'm ready to just be along for the ride for a couple of days. You know what? <laughs> I love to drive and uh, I should have gone with you guys, except I have that obligation with 97.1 The Fan to do that tailgate show every week, but I I could probably do that live from the site if we could get things figured out. But uh, uh, you don't is, want to go back to Piscataway, New Jersey. Yes. I promise you. Yes, exactly. I mean, <laughs> if we were going into the city, end quote, I'm be I'm all with you. But uh, you don't want to drive into the city. You just want to take that bus in, you know, and uh, through the tunnel, through the Lincoln Tunnel, and just have your good time and then take it back to the hotel. But I digress as usual. Uh, but yeah, what a trip to Piscataway for the Ohio State football team. Uh, you know, it's funny when you say a blowout win over Rutgers, maybe open some eyes and open some eyes and shut some mouths, but it kind of did, didn't it? Yeah. It's funny how it worked, Tim, because yeah, all last week there was, and look, I'm in the camp that said, I don't think Rutgers or Michigan is as good as, you know, or certainly not good enough to compete with Ohio state. And then I didn't take a ton out of 20 to 13. But there was a lot of conversation about that and how it may mean that it's a true, truer, tougher test for Ohio State going on the road and Greg Schiano will do this and that and, and have them ready. It's like, if that's the case, then 52-13 should carry a lot more weight yeah. uh, for those people. And anyone can evaluate it however they want. I also understand there's people that just say, look, hey, it's only Rutgers and they want to have more proven to them. That's fine, too. Evaluate it however you want. I think it was an impressive win and the kind of win that Ohio State needed as they've you know, gone through this growing pain stretch. They're back in the conference. They went, did go on the road against anybody, and the way C.J. Stroud threw it, even if it was against air, would have been really, really uh, you know, special impressive. to watch what he's doing. Yeah. Um, on down the line, Travion Henderson, uh, you know, guys on defense flying around. That was, that was a win that no matter what you thought about the opponent, should tell you that Ohio State, in my opinion, has got this thing going back on the trajectory they envisioned. That's exactly the point I was making. And watch this. Watch this. I'm going to do a close-up. That was, that, was, that was Greg Schiano blinking, and in the time of that blink, it was 14-0. That was, that was, <laughs> that was Rutgers, a good impression. Rutgers' big moment to make a big statement in front of this huge crowd it had drawn. I'm not sure it was capacity, but it was a pretty good crowd. A lot of them, Tim, were not in yet. And there was like there were long lines. There were a bunch of people there. Yeah. Uh, and and we looked over like to the left of that press box, and it was fourteen to nothing within four minutes. And not all those people came in through the gate. They wandered. They wandered on off to do something else in the uh, Triborough 
the Tri-City or the Tri-State Complex there. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. By the way, uh, I want to let folks know that I've got a really interesting interview with one of my favorite Buckeyes. I know I say it all the time, but there's a lot of Buckeyes that are my favorites. But uh, Dane Sonsenbacher uh, is going to – brought him on just to talk about the Ohio State wide receiver core and just sort of like his thoughts on this team, et cetera. And we had a really nice conversation. Uh, it's going to follow uh, here in a minute. To, awesome. And you know Dane. You know, as well as anybody, I mean, uh, you know, great, great young man, you know, finding his way in, uh, you know, in the banking business now after a, a college and pro career, a pro football career. But, uh, you know, he has some nice insights, doesn't he? He does really uh, and have enjoyed my encounters with him. I know John Gruden also uh, yeah. loves him. Uh, I'm sure that uh, changed uh, <laughs> the last 10 years or so of his life to, to hear that. But uh, yeah. great, great guy. Uh, haven't got to play any golf with him the way you have, but I assume he's got some solid game there. Uh, good dude, good hand-eye coordination. Uh, another fine representation for the Buckeyes. He, Jake Ballard, um, Paul Moosepon, and I teamed up to win a uh, to win a uh, scramble a couple of weeks ago at Safari Golf Club. So, uh, and he's got a what you'd call a very smooth swing. And we're playing again in a scramble in a couple of weeks, and uh, uh, we hope to lay it on thick that day also. But uh, yeah. You're right about everything you just said about him and and more. You know, we'll get into that with him. Just before we get that, you know, I want to do a little tease for the segment that follows my interview with Dane Sonsenbacher, which is fairly extensive. But it seems like people don't mind this podcast being a little long if I've got somebody on who's interesting and and, and makes good points. Because I found that out last week with Matt Wilhelm. I mean, yeah. you know, that was a pretty well-received podcast. And Matt Wilhelm, man, wow, he was he really brought it. So does Dane, you know, in a more subdued way. but. Dane makes great points, but I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, I'm going to get this out in the open before we get to get to the backside. Yeah. You've never been impressed with Mike Loxley. Why is that? I thought I'd hit you with a little bit of a surprise question. <laughs> uh, well, his um, interesting tenure at New Mexico coincided when I, when I was at that point early in my career and covering the Mountain West Conference, and it was – the abrasive personality combined with some of the issues that, that were happening with in his program and including himself with an assistant coach on his staff, um, you know, couldn't win games, acted like he had won every game, had you know, multiple issues, uh, you know, with assistants on his staff and the run-in and the punching. Uh, there was a, you know, a car situation uh, within his family and, 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 uh, and driving perhaps not in a state of perfection and those things just stuck with me. And I, I didn't understand why his hiring was strange in the first place. And he completely squandered that opportunity. And I thought in an embarrassing fashion, I thought this guy should never be given an opportunity like this again. And then he went to the Nick Saban finishing school and I don't, and he was treated as if none of this stuff at New Mexico had ever happened. Mm-hmm. It completely washed away and not even really ever brought up like, Oh, well, he, he had an opportunity before and some stuff happened, but uh, you know, he learned from that from Nick Saban and everything is all good. I don't believe that. And I just, maybe, maybe I'm being unfair to him and everyone grows up and learns from their past and mistakes. And, and that's, that's totally fine. But I don't think the part that now I look at is that he's not some brilliant football mind that, is worth 
dealing with some of the other stuff that comes with Mike Loxley. And maybe, maybe if I sat down the way some other, you know, journalists have or, or fans or Maryland's athletic department and got to say, Hey, this happened and I didn't like it. And I didn't know you uh, really that well, but I formed a, a, an opinion on you that never changed, like changed my mind. Hey, maybe that could happen. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah. But when I still watch him coach, I don't see what would have been so enticing about it that Maryland absolutely had to have him and ignored what happened before. So that's me there on the Mike Loxley situation. I wasn't ready for it, but those are the, the top three bullet points for me. Yeah, I think the one thing definitely stands out about him, though, on the plus side is they have recruited better at Maryland, without yeah. a doubt. They've made Del Marva sort of their little stomping ground, and uh, we'll see where that leads. Uh, speaking of stomping, they got they got stomped by Iowa. You know, I I, I re, you know I don't, I don't mean to cast this, be disparaging here, but I I referred to Maryland as the as the most counterfeit of the unbeaten teams left in in the Power Five. Uh, conferences over there. And I think they were exposed big time for that. And uh, Talia uh, Tungavaloa had a night to forget, obviously, but uh, a lot going on in that game that opened, opened a lot of people's eyes, you know, and uh, uh, false currency, so to speak. But uh, we'll get to that in a minute, man. Let's get first to my, my discussion, my interview with Dane Sonsenbacher, uh, one of my favorite Buckeyes. And you'll see why, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as you follow along. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm throwing a little slant pass to one of my favorite receivers to ever play football at Ohio State, Dane Sonsenbacher. Or is it Dane Sansenbacher? We're going to let him clear that up. Dane, welcome to the Tim May Podcast. And how do you pronounce your name? Do you do it like John Gruden, or how do you pronounce it? I was going to say there was a little bit of a flashback there. I didn't know I was one of your favorites, Tim. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Well, I'll tell you why in a minute. But yeah, let's do it again. I'm sorry. Talked over we'll you. go Sonsenbacher. Sonsenbacher. Um, but there's debate even within my family. I've got uncles that say Sands, so yeah, I'll respond to whatever, whatever, whatever makes whatever goes with the flow. Dane yes, Sonsenbacher, ladies and gentlemen, Tim May podcast. Good. Yeah, you're one of my you're one of my favorites because number one, you you are always great to talk to, but number two, you know, you're one of the hardest working guys I can ever remember playing football, and one of the toughest at Ohio State. And I know, I know you're going, oh, Tim. Well, hell, man, your senior year, you got elected. Uh, I think you got elected MVP of the team and also the Bo Ryan Award winner, which is, you know, in 2010. We'll get to we'll we'll get to a little bit of what went on in 2010 in a minute. But uh, I mean, that's I'm not sure that's ever happened. I think Jim Trussell even referred to that, you know, at y'all's banquet that uh, not clear that's ever happened for a player. So uh, you did give it your all every chance you got, right? Uh, I did. I did, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of those things. I was I was all the way bought in, and I think that's kind of just how it played out. It didn't feel like it was like a, I was putting in any more work than anybody else. But I mean, I just I believed in what we were doing, and that's just what it took, and that's just kind of how it unraveled. So, yeah, I mean, I still point back to that. There was a lot of stuff that happened in college that I'm very proud of. Um, I always refer to that as what I'm most proud of, honestly. Yeah. Just because it was, it's a team voted thing of MVP and most inspirational, and you, you that's what you're doing it for. And I think players would, all of them would say that, or at least I was. It was for the respect to your teammates more than anything. Hey, real quick though, before we get into what I want to talk to you about, so high state receivers, you know, you were always 
considered to be slightly small, you know what I mean? Or let's say mm-hmm. wiry, you know what I mean? Did, did, did you feel like you always, even when you got to the NFL, I mean, you played, you know, uh, seasons in the NFL, you know, uh, but did you feel like you were always sort of proving yourself to be, for one of another term, worthy? I mean, uh, what, what was it? What would, what drove you, I guess, all the way through your pro career, college and pro career? There's, there's a little bit of that. I always, there was always something that um, Daryl Hazel, who was receivers coach when I was there would say is never stop trying to be qualified for the job. Yeah. And that always kind of stuck with me. Um, but I think there's always, I mean, I definitely was, I don't even want to say undersized cause there's a whole gamut of receivers in all shapes and sizes. So yeah. it's probably in the middle, but I mean, I was definitely scrapping on every team I was going to be on in the NFL. It was going to be on the edge of the roster. I wasn't going to probably be invested in by that team as a number one or two receiver. So it's like, you're going to play in the slot. You're going to have to, at least in the people, the decision makers mind overachieve. You're going to have to catch somebody's eye because you know, at that level, it's it's a business first and coaches and owners want to invest in what's next and what can actually be a big play down the field threat. For the most part, there's people here and there, but um, so yeah, I knew whatever team I was on, I was going to have to do something above and beyond just to get some kind of recognition and get on the field and fill the role where I could. So yeah, I guess there was a little bit of internal drive to say, you know, you've never quite made it. And then also a little bit of reality. It's like, man, these guys are really good. This isn't a, this isn't, for me, it wasn't like a, Hey, show up and you're just one of those guys. Those guys were really good. And it was going to take every day to actually bring it in practice to even see the field. Okay. Let's jump ahead now. I mean, I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Cause you, you, you are noteworthy for one trivia thing for sure in the NFL. Hmm. Uh, We'll get to that. That. I think you probably already know what I'm talking about, but, uh, no. uh, well, I'll go ahead and tell you, I think you're one of the few people who ever caught passes in the NFL and also had an interception, <laughs> you know, you and Deion Sanders and who else, you know, <laughs> I know I, it's a fun fact. I try a punter through it. So yeah. I try not to take it as too much of a point of pride. It counts on the stats, but it was a poor play on, on the Steelers part, honestly. The ball was in the air and you plucked it. That's all that matters, yeah. man. And you were I'll on let you hype it. Yeah. You were on punt, uh, punt the receiving team at the time. So that is yeah. it. So we'll get back to that in a minute. But I'm sorry. Let's yeah, get, go ahead. Let's get back to this. I mean, there have been some good receivers, great receivers come through Ohio State, especially in the time I've been covering the team since 1984. And mm-hmm. at the least of whom was Chris Carter, you know, David Boston, uh, D. Miller, uh, all those guys, Santonio Holmes, Terry Glenn, right on down the line. And even when you were there, you know, you were there, I think, with Devere Posey and, and mm-hmm. a pretty good group. But I argue I've never seen a a room as gifted or as deep as the one I'm, people are looking at today at Ohio State. And I'm talking about, you know, your starters and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba, number 11, as I like mm-hmm. to call him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then right on down the line, you've got Marvin Harrison, Jr., you know, the son of the Hall of Famer, and uh, Emeka Egbuka. These guys have hardly even played yet, but uh, anybody who's watched them in a practice or like in the spring game, uh, et cetera, knows how good these guys are and how good they can be and stuff. But, uh, wow, what what do you think it's like to be in that room today, uh, Dane, holding up your hand 
trying to deserve a pass thrown your way. Yeah, that's a blessing and a curse that they have there because it's hard to get all those guys on the field. I'm sure it's hard on some level to keep them happy, but I think that's – it doesn't appear that they have a diva situation. And yeah. I don't know any more than anybody else, but it doesn't come off that way. For the most part, it looks like that would be a great situation to be in for all of them. Because, I mean, obviously everybody wants to get their touches and their plays, but at least in that position on that side of the ball – I mean, it seems like they're playing together. They're having fun and everybody is getting their touches and making their plays. And that bar is set so high for those younger guys that haven't seen the field yet. And yeah, I mean, I would trust your assessment more than my own and being able to see different groups go through there. They're, they're pretty special. It's a pretty rare one. Yeah. And I see, I'm always careful to make, make the point. I'm not saying that any of these receivers is better than the greatest receiver I ever saw at Ohio State. And that guy is still Chris Carter. I mean, that guy, he was unbelievable in mm-hmm. all kinds of ways. You know, when he needed to catch a ball with two fingers, you know, he, he could. When he mm-hmm. needed to outrun somebody, he could. He did not run everybody every day. You know what I mean? I mean, the, yeah. I mean, just he just set the bar that's crazy. But I'm just talking about as a collection, a, a group, you know, I've, I've, I've never seen that deep a room, you know, and uh, – I guess that's what I'm referring to, but you know, as you watched him like play against Rutgers, you know, all those guys got in, in into the game there, uh, got big plays in that game, and uh, and like you just pointed out a minute ago, there is no diva, at least yet. And Chris Olave is about as laid back and cool a dude as I've ever run into. Uh, Plays like it too. And Garrett Wilson, you, you can just see from Garrett Wilson, he exudes, you know, athletic. Athletic ability, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba is so smooth. Kind of reminds you of Chris Olave, you know that number eleven kid. Uh, he kind of reminds you of Chris Olave, and I just wonder what, just individually, kind of what's your take on I me? Mean, for example, Chris Olave, what kind of like stands out as you watch him play? The little bit you've gotten to see him play, I think you hit on the big one, and I think that probably because I would he would be considered the leader of that group. I would yep. think, I mean, they're all contributing from that. It always is going to kind of trickle down into the rest of the position group, that attitude, similar to how a head coach, like their attitude trickles down to the rest of the team. Um, so it doesn't shock me that everybody starts to look kind of cool under pressure, smooth. Um, and that's his game from what I've seen of it is it's, you know, make the play, make it look easy. And I'm sure it's not, but it always looks like it's on coast mode. Shake everybody's hand in the end zone. Let's go on and move on to the next. And I guarantee the rest of the guys in that room are like, okay, this is just how you do it. Especially the young guys that are watching this guy who's excelled for however many years he's been there. Um, That attitude probably permeates throughout. And as far as receivers go, that's, that's, the one you would probably want to be contagious you, you, instead of having the, your top guy be somebody you hear about all the time or is a everybody's got ego to a certain extent, but that is demanding the ball. And you want the guys on the outside that are doing their job cool as ice. When you can call on them, you call on them. Um, so, I mean, that's, I think, what his, his strengths are, how he plays the game effortlessly. I think anybody would say you watch him and it just looks easy. Yeah. Um, but two, I think the room seems so stacked because I think those are the guys we know, too. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the other positions are either filtering in, still figuring out, or just new or young. 
So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that too, is like, if you're thinking of Ohio state football right now, or in every, any given year, you think of it in terms of the stars of that year or the guys that you remember. Um, And right now, everybody else is so young. The defense is relatively young. Um, Running backs young for the most part quarterback, obviously. So, I mean, it's like, those are the guys that if Ohio state fans are coming back, they're like, Oh, I know. Yeah. Olave and Wilson and, yeah, that is Jigba, Smith and Jigba guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, with the hyphenated. Last that's what it seems like, at least that that's yeah. kind of can be part of. Room seems stacked, but it's also that's that's your those are your veterans. That's your calling card right now if you're the Ohio State offense. Oh yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a great way of putting it, man. You're right. You 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 uh you identify with with what you know with who you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then the, and then on top of that, you've seen these guys excel. I mean, he and Garrett Wilson. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson's excelled. Jackson Smith and Jigba had a little bit of a glimpse of it, you know, uh, last year. And year, but uh, this year he has just come out of his shell. I mean, he's he's as fast a rising commodity nationally as, as there is. And that's what I want to get to you. I mean, when you put three guys with that kind of ability on the field at the same time against college defenses, there are a few college defenses that can take away all three, aren't there? I mean, just yeah. give me your take on that. Yeah, you I mean there's not you got to really have I mean the best you can hope for is probably a real veteran defense. Honestly, because as much as anything it seems and I didn't play defense past a high school level, but having that um I guess cohesion between your groups can do as much to thwart an offense like that. Yeah. And like having the three stud corners and play a man-to-man all game. Maybe that happens, but who has a third corner that's going to be as good to play in slot to do that? Not, not many teams are that deep. Um, maybe there are, and that's no disrespect. I haven't watched every Big Ten team, but yeah, I'd be more apt to think what slows that down is a defensive game plan and a group of veteran defensive guys that – you see it a lot in the NFL especially. You see like old safeties that you're like, how you don't even move that well anymore. How are you still doing it? Yeah, because like if you're smart on defense, you don't have to you move all that well. If you're in the right spot, if you know what the other guys are doing, you've played with these other guys before. You know, okay, pass him off. Okay, this guy's going to run by me. Who's running with Chris Olave in the Big Ten? I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm sure there's a few, but doesn't every week you know it doesn't seem like many. So it takes a t- it takes a committee of of DBs. So I don't know. I think you just try to slow it down, and I'm sure the answer is going to become pressure. The best way to stop your receivers is make sure that the ball can't get in the air. I would imagine that's kind of next up. If you're like, this is, this is going to be too difficult. He needs two seconds and then the ball's got to be gone because we can't give him time to let these receivers get downfield on us and have this quarterback sit back there and launch it like that. That has got to, I got to admit, I got to imagine that's how you slow it down is slowing it down up front and going after the quarterback. Yeah. You know, and the team that initially that, that quickly popped into my mind defensively, and these guys might be on a collision course is Iowa. Cause Iowa does play. Yeah. It looks like a veteran defense out there that every, it looks like they're playing with 13 guys. Sometimes it makes no sense. You know and It's not, I'm not sure how many of those guys Ohio state would have recruited. You know what I mean? But it, like you just pointed out, it's the committee approach that, uh, 
can shut you down or, or, or thwart you or at least make like difficult. But uh, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, as a receiver, when you were like at Ohio State and you were even in the NFL, this has always intrigued me. Um, I grew up watching back in the 60s, you know, some great combo, uh, you know, quarterback receiver uh, groups, uh, quarterback and receiver, you know, uh, uh, at colleges and stuff. And and that primary guy seemed to always get open, you know, at the right time. Mm-hmm. It was a keystone combo and stuff. But I'm just wondering, and those guys all had their little moves, like Ray Perkins before he was a coach winner. He was a hell of a receiver in Alabama. And he had these sort of like slow, fast, slow, fast acceleration moves where he would just gain separation from a guy. Wasn't necessarily the fastest guy on the field, but how much freedom as you were in college and even in the NFL, did you have to kind of do your own thing within the parameters of a certain route or route tree? Were you able to like use your own little cunning? You know what I mean? Here and there. And I think it was, it's usually specified when you have the green light and it's also depends on the coordinators. Um, some people build their off. Like my first year in Chicago, I played for Mike Martz who, you know, obviously made his, his stake with the Rams, like greatest show on turf. Yeah. Everything about that offense was built on timing and making sure those guys were not wasting time at the line. So that, okay. So going from Ohio state, we had a little bit more freedom to do what we needed at the line to get open to, um, as long as it wasn't a complete timing route, you've got to get yourself around somebody first. So work at the line, take your time, be patient because DBs don't want to be patient. You get to the NFL or a guy like that. That's like, Hey, you guys are chess pieces. This is my, my board. Yeah. This is how we want it. Don't waste time at the line. Like we snap the ball. You take one step and go. So you kind of sprinkle in your own, style I guess or whatever your strengths are if it's getting out of routes you obviously want to play to your strengths as a receiver but it depends on what your coordinator um play caller or even quarterback is expecting of you because the best you can do as a receiver is be where you're expected to be doesn't matter if you win quarterback's not ready or you weren't on the same page it's not there anyway so yeah I see what you're saying and there are guys that had a little bit like Terry Glenn was one that always was very like had a unique style of doing things because we used to watch old tape yeah but there are always guys that have a little bit of their own wiggle um but yeah it, it depends depends on what they're asking you stole my word man that's my word I use that for trivia and Henderson more than anybody else right now I mean unwell wiggle but Chris Olave I swear you know a lot of times, like I explained to people on the radio this past week, uh, you know, I was getting asked this, you know, how, how can he take Chris Olave out of an offense? Well, one, one way you do it is just the initial read you give the quarterback of what you're doing with your safety or whatever, you know, whatever coverage package you're running. You just show that you're you've leaned that way. You're taking him out. So it makes you immediately go, you know, to uh, yeah. B or C. Uh, but. But I think Chris Olave yeah. can get open against anything. I mean, he, he's almost shown that ability. I don't know if you've noticed that about him, too, but he does have a knack, doesn't he? As you watch him, like you, like we talked a while ago about the, using the word smooth, but he just he just seems to all of a sudden just make a move that, you know, how did he get there? You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. you kind of see that in him. I mean, what, what's, you know, what, yeah. what took that? I mean, Go ahead. There's a confidence to it as well, knowing that you're not – because as a receiver, too – you can put yourself out of position at times, but 
if you have a certain confidence that you're not worried about it, that can work as your, to your advantage. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you know you have to be inside, you have to get inside on this route, you can't outside release but the biggest threat you have is threatening that you're going to go outside. The more you can leave it out there and be confident that I'm still going to get back inside. There's a lot of strength to that. I think that's something he has is that I can do what I want and I'll end up where I need to be. and just might threaten you a little more where you don't want me to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I see what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially with the young quarterback, if I'm looking at a, a defense, even if that's not what I'm going to run, even if I'm the defense, I'm not going to stay in too high right. or I'm not going to stay rolled this way. If I'm a young quarterback and I read the defense and it is what it is. I'm probably off of him right away. Yeah. And that's nothing against CJ. I'm sure that coaches are talking through all these scenarios, but not a bad idea. Yeah. Roll to him, show that we're going to double cover him. Even if you're not show that you're going to have help over the top, even if you're not hope that, you're that that read he's off that read from the snap take him out of the game yeah now easier said than done from us couch pundits but yeah i like it makes (laughs) sense to me yeah well something you know when you only get when when a guy like that only gets targeted three or four times in a game and he got zero catches uh you know against uh whoever that was tulsa you know Mm -hmm. clearly clearly they were giving the quarterback something he you know that told him i'm not throwing because you know Chris Olave's your leading receiver, you know, going on a second, third year, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, you know, where I'm going at, but I think finally, like you said, the quarterback has to feel comfortable that what he's seeing is BS, you know, and Hey, don't leave Olave. You know what I mean? Don't, I mean, come back to him, whatever. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you. CJ Stroud took a week off to let that shoulder heals. Not the right word. Feel better. I think it's probably the better yeah. word. Rest. Yeah. Clearly he was on point. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, was that Rutgers? Hey, I think Ohio State was only a 14-point favorite in that game, and now everybody's going to go, well, that was Rutgers, you know. Well, that was Rutgers that went in and went uh, toe-to-toe with Michigan the week before, played very physical, uh, took away a lot of things Michigan wanted to do in the second half. I think Michigan had six or seven straight possessions where uh, they punted, you know, in the in the fourth, in the the second half of that game. So, competent defense, feeling fairly confident, mm-hmm. you know, going into that game, and uh, – Ohio State had its way with it, but uh, but mainly because their quarterback was on point. What impressed you, I guess, for want of another term, about the way C.J. Stroud played on Saturday in his big return? Yeah, um, I think it helps to they, and he was out versus Tulsa, correct? No, he was out versus uh. Versus oh, I'm sorry, Akron. Yeah. yeah. Versus yeah. Akron. Yeah. I get those two mixed and, up too. Tulsa <laughs> is when they kind of discover this newfound, maybe it's not newfound, but running back talent. And now you've got a guy that, oh, we can look to you for big plays. Yeah. Um, I think that helps to get a little bit stability there at that position to get this guy confidence. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe a week off in a crazy season and going from camp and to the point where you're, I don't know, it seemed to have done something. I know a lot of people could see him stepping into throws more, I guess. Follow what you will. I mean, just look comfortable. Yeah. Maybe it was rested. Maybe it was mentally, you know, rejuvenated. Um, (laughs) Maybe shoulders feeling better. I don't know, but he didn't miss much. I mean, it looked – that's the guy That's the guy you want to see. Yep. That's the guy you saw glimpses of. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you never he, played he quarterback. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, you didn't play quarterback in high school or college, but it is a complex game, even at the co- at the college level and stuff. Oh, yeah. And the more you get, like I, I've you know, you've heard we've played golf together a couple of times. You've heard me talk about this. Is that the the more you get comfortable sitting in the cockpit of that really tricked out race car, which is exactly mm-hmm. what the Ohio State offense looks like with that offensive line, those receivers we just talked about, Travion Henderson, the running back coming on, Jeremy Ruckert, probably as good a tight end as there is in the country from a skill standpoint and everything else, size, et cetera, et mm-hmm. cetera. Uh, you just don't want to hit the wrong button at the wrong time, I mean, to begin with, but then you kind of get a feel for the cockpit, right? You kind of get a feel for what if I hit this button, this does this, and the confidence just grows. And, you know, I, I, like you and I talked about on the golf course, you know, him him sitting out a week and watching somebody else do it, like I called it, him being, for one of another term, a fan, kind of seeing what the fans were talking about, about him being maybe a little hesitant to do this or a little uh, hesitant to run the ball. He did run the ball a couple, three times uh, the other day, which was which was finally a little bit of a breakthrough, but he didn't just take off with it, you know. Uh, sure. But I think you could, like you said, I think you could see an accumulation of gaining knowledge and and a feel for the game and a feel for what's around you. And it's kind of cool to watch it sort of come to fruition, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to feel good about where that offense is. But again, I mean, it's it's tough to be a quarterback at Ohio State. Yeah. Because I gotta be honest, like I don't I don't analyze the game all that much when I'm watching. Um I don't dig into it as much as you know, a lot of people who it's either, you know, their job to talk about it or like we've got to, they, they haven't looked bad. I mean, I've, lo- I've watched him and there's not like, I was at the Oregon game. I've watched the rest of them. Now I'm not watching every play, breaking it down, like checking, oh, this is his read. He should have dumped it down here. Yeah. But more than competent and, and like with those weapons, not making huge mistakes, a couple of dumb throws here and there, a couple of high ones, I guess, at Oregon. But yeah. I mean, at that point, I would just say the, the more snaps the guy gets, the more comfortable he's going to get. But at this point, you're how many? There's four games in now? No, five games in, four games five in. Games him. in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to feel pretty comfortable with – at this point, you're picking nits to find something that – Yeah. I don't know. Is he doing this? Is he doing that? They look dang good to me. I mean, hey, they're all – Yeah. It's almost like, you know, I, I kept warning people as the season went on, you know, this defense was young – they were going to make mistakes, but they had some scheme problems too. Ryan sure. Day clearly has addressed that, you know, and they, you know, for the most part, with the exception of one play when it mattered, they turned that team inside out the other day. I'm talking about Rutgers. The mm-hmm. Ohio State defense did. You can see some young guys playing with more confidence, some more they're in a scheme that fits them maybe and then uh, just tweaks to that scheme, but still better fits them. Uh, you see young guys really coming on. I mean, really young guys either in experience or in age. But then mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't really, I don't get where people, even in the NFL now, you know, Justin Fields, you know, uh, you know, uh, all these first year starters at quarterback. Oh my God, you know. I mean, you gotta let, you gotta let guys learn their new, there's, you know, there's no their new environments. That, I mean, yeah, you. There's I mean, no, and people no have no people have no patience anymore. I mean, I'm not saying everybody. But quite a few outspoken people have no patience anymore. Like this guy would have come straight from Rancho Cucamonga, which is where uh, CJ Stroud is from, to that 
ridiculous season, whatever he called it last year, when he only played a handful of plays as a backup and mm-hmm. only like a handful of games, no spring, et cetera. You know, empty stadiums. I mean, but then now the first year starting quarterback, and he should be able to just play like Dan Marino, you know, or something. I mean, people are nuts sometimes. You know, I think the expectations are crazy, but you know, that's to be expected, I guess, right? Uh, in this society, or the has way it always been that way? I mean, I guess you've you've watched it a little longer than me. Yeah, it, it, it seems it, like it has, but but not to this degree to where put Kyle McCord in. Well, Kyle McCord, you're going to watch him, and you watched him. He's going to go through the same learning curve that C.J. Stroud did before he gets to a comfort, comfort level. And if you watch the Akron game, his first three passes were horrendous, you know. But as he got a little more confidence in himself, playing for the first time ever, a true freshman, uh, you know, you could see him get better and uh, and play competently. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I can understand the impatience with some Ohio State fans because they see otherwise a great offense from a personal standpoint like we just talked about. Man, just – just get the right driver in there to drive this thing. I think they have the right driver. I think he proved it on Saturday. I mean, he played with a lot of confidence, a lot of cool. He looked like he knew exactly what he was seeing. And this was a team that at times was throwing the kitchen sink at him, you know, from a blitz standpoint, from twists and stunts going on up front, from coverages. And uh, he really kind of chopped that team up. I just think think of that one, one play that comes to mind. I think it was the Rucker touchdown. Um, cross the middle yeah. there. Yeah. Waiting, waiting, waiting. About to get hit, did get hit, but that's it. I mean, he knew he had to wait till tight end crosses his face before I let it go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he looks confident. I think – and Ohio State's obviously blessed in the quarterback room as well. It's not like you don't have competent guys even in the backup roles. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean – they're getting plenty of reps. I think, I mean, I always kind of think fans could use a little dose of patience, but I, I get it. They want it now. They want to see it now, but at a certain point, you've got to invest some time in these guys. Say, so, yeah. all right, like almost roll it way back to the days of like when you're a high school football fan and you're just like, oh yeah, this is our quarterback, but he's, we're, we're committed. Like we're pot committed to this guy. Yeah. He's going to get better. And yeah. let it play out. I mean, it's tough to be under scrutiny the whole time. It's a different world if you got a fan base that's like, oh, yeah, that's our starting quarterback, for better or worse. I mean, unless it's terribly worse. And I know the name of the game at Ohio State. You, you better win now. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, young guy, you've got your guy. I mean, the, the coaches seem to say this is our guy. Let's develop him. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's roll with it. Yeah, I think it only, the more, more snaps you get, the more comfortable everybody gets. I think they're, they seem to be clicking on cylinder, all cylinders now. And again, one of those seasons where it feels like <laughs> the vibe of Columbus sometimes makes it feel like a rebuilding year. Yeah. When you really lost one game by what, seven? 
Yeah, seven points, and you had a chance. Tough crowd, man. You had chances. Yeah, you had chances to save the day, even though the defense was yeah. really not very good that day. But you know, I keep rem- yeah, reminding people. Oregon gave up 484 yards passing. <laughs> so both defenses, you know, that's that old thing, Dane. Just if you win, people forget about most of the bad stuff. You know, that's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Hey, you're speaking yeah. of that real quick before I let you go. 2010, what yeah. do you remember about that year? Do you remember Tatgate throwing a, uh, a shadow over everything? What do you just remember about, about that season? Not really. I, I mean – that's my senior year. So at that point in the season, I know I'm on my way out and this all hits the fan on the way to the bowl game. Yeah. And truly it was like, it didn't feel like that much of a distraction. We knew it was going on. Um, in hindsight, I guess it was a fairly big deal, but then in double hindsight, I yeah. mean, with name, image, and likeness now? Yeah. Yeah, at a certain point, you're like, what are we talking about? And I'm not condoning it. I mean, no. we knew what the rules were. Yeah. And regardless of if they change now, it's like you knew what it was then. Everybody dealt with the consequences. It was an unfortunate one. I It, it got very blown up, but these were guys that, I don't know, you knowingly did those things. None of them bad guys owned up to it we move on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that the the coaching situation played out the way it was, but I guess that just, again, part of working the big business is somebody has got to take that fall. It got messy over what people now, I think majority of people look back and like, I don't know, that's kind of silly, but what are you going to do? Honestly, wasn't that big a distraction. Yeah. My opinion. I don't think of it as that. My opinion back then was it was something that was basically silly more than just, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me type thing. Uh, but it ended the ended the coaching career of a, one of the great college football coaches of all time. You know, I mean, really, yeah. from an effectiveness standpoint in Jim Trussell. And we all know, you know, the shadow he cast, you know, 2011, the uh, Luke Fickle took over the kind of the forgotten season a little bit. And then but it ushered in the Urban Meyer era, which ushered in the Ryan Day era. And that's what I wanted to ask you. You know, it's like, uh, uh, forget about that. What I wanted to ask you is, you know, do you think fans are really, do you think they're really appreciative of what they're really seeing offensively from the Ohio State football team in the last many years? I mean, they are on par with almost anybody. Basically, they're averaging more yards per play, I think, than anybody in the country at this moment in this season. But do you think they really are appreciative of what, of what's going on in front of them. You know what I mean? I mean, I think they are, but I think whenever you give somebody something, a little bit of this, they want a little bit more, you know, type feeling, you know, uh, why can't they score on every possession? Why can't they score on every down? You know, sometimes it seems like they do. Uh, but you know what I mean? Do, do you, do you feel like you, this is, I keep calling it a golden age offensively in Ohio state football. What, what's, what's just your opinion of that? Yeah. Obviously, there's those expectations that are always there with the fan base. And you could feel it. And like the Oregon game was the first game I'd been back to in a while. And in the stands, much different. But you could feel it even then. You're like, they're about they're about to lose the fans. Like you're there's a they're about to turn. Like I've seen this before for the field. It the heat's about to be put on if we do one more three and out or give up one more touchdown here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it didn't turn into booze. 
I think you do appreciate it, but I think, you know, that the expectation is like, we do, we're comparing ourselves against the nation. You want to be in that playoff hunt from a fan perspective. Yeah. But I also think, you know, there's probably a small part of that expectation that drives that production. Um, coaches feel that they know this has to be high power. We have to, it's not good enough to have a good offense. We got to be nationally ranked offense. It's not good enough to do things. And that probably is throughout a lot of these big time college programs that it's not about being, you got to be perfect. It's not being good. It's not like we have a good game this last weekend, for example, today is Sunday. Yeah. They come in on Sundays. I think Yeah, yeah. they're there. And now 52 13 or whatever the final score ended up being. It's not like, all right, good game. We're going out to get ice cream. No, yeah. we're analyzing it and looking at the things they did wrong in a 52 point offensive performance. It's good and bad. I do think fans, fans appreciate what they're seeing. I think if this was not going that way, you'd hear about it a lot more, but even in the little bit, I do talk Ohio state football when it comes up in my life and with fans around town here, that's, that's their pride right now. I mean, you, you, there's, there's some pride in what the offense is doing. So, I mean, I'll give, I'll critique fans, but credit where it's due. I mean, I think they do appreciate that's, it's fun to watch. If you're turning it on on Saturday, yeah, you, you win the coin toss, you want to say we're taking the ball because that's yeah. what that's who you want to see on the field right now. Yeah. And it's fun, like like Trevion Henderson breaking off that big long run to start that game. The other that's almost like throwing chum to a bunch of sharks. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, oh my goodness, yeah, <laughs> here it goes again, you know. Uh here's that, Paris Johnson yeah. annihilating a guy, you know, pulling guard and Jeremy Ruckert with a kick out block, and boom, you know, it's like Katie bar the door, and the next play could be exactly like that. You know, I mean, it's that, it is yeah. kind of cool when you think about it, right? It is. And that helps that I got to imagine that helps the defense. Even if you're a young defense, you've had your struggles, you guys are trying to find your way. If you can lean on an offense that always gives you that feeling like we're not out of this game, like we're whatever it is, we're not out of this game because look at the fight. If we get the ball, we've got the guys in place to do it. You can't really ask for more than to be in that position. Cause I'm not sure there's gotta be no, I can't see there being any fear with this group on offense if it's tight game in the fourth quarter, you have the guys that you would want to have healthy and on the field at this point. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And by the way, it's always better on the defense if you've got the lead, because if you can make that other team just the least bit more predictable, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the better off you are defensively. I wanted to ask you one last thing. Uh, uh, as you well know from me covering you, I, I always said that about four times when I was interviewing you, but uh, this is one, kind of my one last thing with maybe a follow-up. Uh, <laughs> did football end for you because somebody said, okay, you're done? Or did football end for you because you looked in the mirror and said, okay, you know, I've been – I'm busting my butt, I'm busting my butt, you know, and uh, maybe it's time to move on to something else. Give people an idea of what how, how that ended for you and how you adjusted immediately. Yeah, I've had some years of hindsight on that. I probably would have answered different right when it – right when I decided to retire. Um, I think I outgrew it a little bit at some point. I think I got to, you know, fourth year in the NFL, um, played my last season, which was my one-year contract with Cincinnati. And I was a little beaten up. I had some concussions in the NFL. Yeah. 
Um, enough was coming, enough reports were coming out to kind of plant that seed at least to like, eh, I don't know, you've been doing it. What else do you want out of it? And I think just as a human, I would think most people, regardless of the career they're in, when you're hitting like your mid twenties, you're starting to see the world a little bit differently. Now you're not a full grown up, but I think at a certain point when it's a Tuesday and I'm getting tackled, I'm like, well, as soon as I knew, I was like, don't touch me anymore. You probably shouldn't be playing pro football yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. it's, if it's bothering you. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I think let's get through this year. And especially like when we talked at the very beginning here, when you know you're going to be scrapping to get on any roster, when you know it's going to take everything you got, even throughout the off season, you've got to be completely bought in. And I knew as soon as I'm not completely bought in, and this is all just seeming like I'm not feeling this anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I was lucky enough in a way to be able to say, yeah, I think I'm done. I think I'm done here. There was chances to walk into some other camps, um, resign somewhere, really ride it out. But I think I, it's hard to, you know, when, you know, and I just think I kind of outgrew it, not from a really a looking down on it perspective or that other people weren't, I just knew that my, that's not where my priorities were anymore. Not where my heart was. I was like, this is just, I'm all about working and grinding it out. We can do it. But I think it's, I think it's time to hang them up. I think it's time to buy, to bow out, you know, while you can still walk off on your own. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, real quick. What are you doing now, man? And give people a little insight what you, what you're doing for a living. You're married. You seem like a happy guy. Yeah. You know, you've always impressed me because you may not believe, you know, you, inside your head, you may be going, man, I'm the least one of these kind of guys. You always, it's always seems so cool and level-headed hmm. about stuff. You know, I mean, I'm talking about from the outside looking in, but uh, what are you up to these days? And are you cool and level-headed? Yeah, I am. I really am cool. Especially on those long putts. I noticed that, but go ahead. Yes, sir. And that's what it takes really is just being, you know, confidence and cool. And those usually go in. Yeah. Um, Right now I'm working at a bank. I'm working at Union Savings Bank doing mortgage loans. Um, So just my wife and I just moved back to Columbus area, actually, right before the pandemic. So I was in Toledo for a little bit back here, kind of reacquainting to the city as an adult and outside of campus. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a lot of life changes and but it's been cool to get to get back and reconnect with people that like yourself that I knew from college days, but kind of on a, on a different level now. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's been great. Hey, well, why, why do you guys, why, why do a lot of players come back to this area, man? Well, what is it about the Columbus area? I mean, it's like, I always, I always like to ask you guys that just see what the answer is because, you know, I'm not sure many guys move back to Iowa city, you know, after they're done, you know, you know, <laughs> I'm not knocking I mean, Iowa city, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, Columbus is a huge Metro area now. I guess there's opportunities, right. But there's, there's friends you developed in your, probably the some of the most important years of your life is when you're going to college, even if you're a football player, right? I mean, that you yeah. develop relationships, but, but what, 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 what brought you back to this area, I guess? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know much about Iowa city, but Columbus is a pretty cool city. I mean, I don't know if it's much more complicated than that. It's a yeah. nice place to live. It's a nice place to have a family. Um, I think for me, it's easier because I was from Ohio too. Yeah. So parents, family are two hours away from me. It's much easier. Okay. You're going to pick a city in Ohio. You know, Columbus is not bad. 
Yeah. So I think, and it's not a ton of the guys I've played with really end up here. There's a handful, but I mean, just as many moved on or back to where they were from or whatever it may be. Cause you know, the Ohio state football pulls guys from so many different States. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it tracks people back. Cause once you're here, I mean, it's an, it's an easy place to live. There is a lot of opportunity here. Um, I don't know that it's more complicated than that. It's cool. It's and if you're going to be in the Midwest, it's not like you're, there's a beach anywhere that we could be moving to. So yeah, good point. Columbus, Columbus, Indy. I mean, you got a couple good options and might as well come here where you've got somewhat of a base of people and support yeah. system and friends and yeah, people that have you've known since college. It's kind of nice. And plus with all the houses I see going up, including right next door to me, they're building about 50 homes. You know, we've lived out in the country forever till the mm. last five years. Uh, it's a good place to be writing mortgages, right? <laughs> I guess, but the lack of homes uh, well, or lack of lack of inventory makes it tough sometimes too. So yeah. it's definitely an interesting time to be writing mortgages. Yeah. 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 But you know, if you're getting any kind of thing off the top, man, those, uh, the lack of something means the higher something is, you know, I, I know how that game is played, you know, but uh, anyway, it is a supply and demand. You're there absolutely you go. right. Dane Sonsenbacher, man, you know, I knew it was going to be cool. Cause you know, talking with you, just playing golf, you know, I know I'm always talking in your backswing, but you can always use that as an excuse. If in fact you don't break 75, you see where I'm going with that. Well, isn't that, isn't that what Moose said? You're going to be talking for two years after you're dead. Yeah, exactly. He's still, he's still rolling. People are going to be leaning their head down to the ground like, what is that? Like, he is still going? Yeah. I just, you know, yeah. I love conversation, I man. And I always always appreciated you throughout your college career, and I appreciate you today, man. And Dane Sonsenbarker, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast. Appreciate it, Tim May. Hey, I told you awesome. Uh, Dane Sonsenbarker can still bring it, even though he's retired and he's in the banking business now. You know, would you'd get a loan from this guy, wouldn't you? These guys – Never forget the football knowledge that they accumulate. That's why you and I have had this conversation many times. Also, basically, Will Crawl's original idea to pair uh, the insights of these former – they know so much. I always tell that story about Jake Stoneburner. He's like, I used to have to watch film every single day, you know, for multiple hours. Like, that was part of life. So, Dane obviously has been through that. All these guys have. Like, they know so much football that even in our position where – Every day we've been relying on it for our whole careers. We still never will understand it at the same level uh, that these guys do. And, and obviously Dane's got a great way about him that not only does he know it, but he's able to explain it. Yeah. You know, and the other thing is, you know, it's, it's cool to hear a guy who played the position and really played the position at a, at a high level. I mean, you know, yeah, he was not drafted in the NFL, but he, but he made the Chicago Bears as an undrafted free agent and played several years in the NFL, including with the Cincinnati Bengals. But to hear him sort of break down what makes Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, uh, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, what what sets them apart, but especially Olave, that was very interesting because, you know, you agree with me. Maybe you don't. Uh, I've watched, <laughs> I've watched. you know, in the time I've covered Ohio State, I've seen Chris Carter, you know, Santonio Holmes, David Boston, you know, D. Miller, Terry Glenn, all these great receivers that have come through the program. And they're all different. And Chris Olave is different from all of them, you know. And I think we're really – it's really special for Ohio State fans, I think especially, to get to witness this guy in action, you know, and what sets him apart, just how smooth he is, what what an operator. It's like he's seeing things before they happen and stuff. And, like, you and I have had that discussion many times, you know. Uh, Don't tell me the coverage is taking Chris Olave – 
out of a play, just throw it to him, you know, let him get open because he will get open. And uh, I think they might have gone back to that a little bit on this past weekend against Rutgers because I thought Oregon did a uh, uh, Tulsa did a good job of that. And then and then, of course, Akron, you know, Akron did, too, you know, just saying, well, you're not throwing to him today, just on the way they played their coverage. And when you got a first year, first time starting quarterback in Cal McCord in there against Akron, he's going to go to where the read tells him to go, you know, not just trust Chris Olave. You know what I mean? And that's what you saw. But I think we're seeing C.J. Stroud, he's already developed a trust in, in Chris Olave to maybe get open anyway, if you follow my drift. We'll see how that goes. But I don't know. Do you agree with me on any of that? Yeah, I don't know why anyone wouldn't have faith uh, in Chris Olave. Every quarterback, uh, Justin Fields before that, you know, they – they're going to develop a chemistry with this guy because he nobody will outwork Chris Olave, as you know. You and I have been in there with Spencer on Tuesdays the last couple of weeks. He tweaked that routine that he had that had been using it for so long. When you have a scoreless game, thought he needed to add something else. So that was those Tuesdays in there with G. Scott Jr. Uh, getting on the jugs and throwing things over the shoulder. Like Chris Olave wasn't shortchanging himself anyway, but he's like, all right, here's 30 more minutes I'm going to add to my week to make sure that uh, that he's maximizing every opportunity he has. And the other flip side – Wait, wait, wait. Let me interrupt you. Keep the flip side in your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, he said jugs. He means jugs machine, a machine that shoots footballs at you if you load them. Okay? Based on events recently – based on current events recently in in Buckeye Buckeye lore, I just want to make sure you understood that. Now, go ahead. Awesome. Yeah, that was not any uh, innuendo or suggestion otherwise uh, (laughs) – I'll leave it at that. Yeah, leave it um, at that. Go ahead now. So, but the and the flip side to that is like when you're bringing up the coverage and you know just call some plays that maybe Olave is the number one and dial it up so that it has to go there. Like Ohio State, you know, and Saturday was a reminder of that. Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba are both still on this team, and so is Jeremy Ruckert and Travion Henderson yeah. uh, and Master Teague playing well and Marcus Crowley coming off the bench and being healthy. It's like Olave. And I think this is also what makes him so great because if this had happened to, let's say, Mike Thomas, you know, I don't think he would have responded to the exact same way of two catches in two weeks. What makes what made Mike Thomas great was that uh, I don't mean he wanted this, the football was wanting the football and that ego that he needed it. And so he would do whatever it takes. Like Chris Olave is going to do that anyway, but he doesn't. His way is so much different. He's more like Terry McLaurin. And if you want to throw it to him 50 times, he will gladly do that. And he will score you 27 career touchdowns and counting. Yeah. But he is content to be on, you know, covering punts and down them. So he started his career or block a punt. Like he will do all that stuff. And I think what makes him great, uh, and everyone does it a little bit differently, is how selfless he is about it. And if Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba then wind up making it easier for him on a couple other routes, he's totally cool with that. And uh, that's, I think, what, you know, and I asked him a little bit about that after the game on Saturday. Like, does it feel like 27 touchdowns? And he's like, you know, I don't, I'm not really worried about his, yeah. not worried about the numbers. Like, he kind of, he kind of like acted, like, you know, I remember seeing that clip. He almost acted like he didn't know the number or, or the yeah, significance. Exactly, you know? yeah. I mean, that's interesting because we know. Travion Henderson knows all those numbers, <laughs> but, but go ahead though. You're exactly right. Hey, but Daniel pointed out in my interview too. He goes, you know, if you're going to have a leader in a room, 
of a, of a bunch of wide receivers who, who historically have been sort of me people for a lot of reasons. Yeah. You know, like you said, Terry McLaurin, what better guy? You know, Paris Campbell, you know, he and Johnny Dixon, those the, the three amigos, or as I call them, three graduados, you know, three graduate guys uh, playing selflessly that yeah. one year. But uh, who better than a Chris Olave, right? I mean. Yeah. And he learned that. I think. Yeah. There's also, there's a, there's a part of this with Chris Olave that, this was always his mentality. He wasn't, as we all know, and the story's been told many times, not the highest profile recruit, didn't have a ton of interest. It was fortunate the way that Ryan Day sort of stumbled upon him looking at somebody else. But, you know, he's never been a guy to call attention to himself. And he, he breaks that traditional mold of wide receivers in that way. But he also came into a room with those three guys that you're talking about. And also, you know, Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor and KJ Hill and guys that were accepting that this there's a different way to do it that six wide receivers or three wide receivers or you know however many you have can do the job it doesn't take just one and yeah that that culture shift in the wide receiver and a lot of it was made about Mickey Marathi talking about you know Terry and Johnny and Paris are going to change the way the culture of the whole team is you know I don't know that that's really possible when you spend all that time in a unit. I know for a fact that it changed the way that the wide receivers operate. And Chris yeah. Olave learned that from those guys. It's taken. I think it's a huge reason why he came back for his senior year. And the relationship with Brian Hartline and the way that they operate that room, it's just different. And I think that you know he wants to make sure that that continues to happen after he leaves so that when it's the turn for Emeka Egbuka and Marvin Harrison, Jaden Ballard, uh, or the, you know another class with Julian Fleming and the, you know these guys that yeah this is you don't have to catch every football or get mad if you don't have it like we're gonna do this together and the offense is conducive enough that you're still gonna catch a lot of footballs over the course of a season yeah and just the short historical uh, uh, evidence from just this past season I think he had 12 catches against Oregon if I remember correctly right yeah and Ohio State got beat <laughs> as he said. After that uh, zero catch thing is uh, uh, two weeks ago, or week, you know, against Akron, he goes, as long as we win, I don't care, you know, and he's right. You know, I mean, you can have the world's greatest day from a number standpoint, and if your team gets beat, that's not getting you where you want to go. He came back to Ohio State for a lot of reasons, but you know, one of those reasons is he wants to be playing in the last game of the year, you know, uh, again, and uh, and is driven by that. I mean, I, I, re I like Crystal Light for a lot of reasons. I just like how laid back he is, just – smooth he is and like you said going out there and working extra on the jugs machine and things like that with g scott it's almost like a a regular deal we ought to just uh this week if they're back there behind us we'll just let people watch and see what we're talking about on that uh rapid react to see how rapidly they react to balls in their face but uh, i think we'll just have spencer take the camera over yeah and you and i will just well, ask chris olave some questions while he's while yeah. he's catching 15 balls like is you can see like i don't want people to get it you know, confused that what he's doing is like really just rugged, grinding himself oh, yeah. in practice. Like he just thought, you know what, I need to catch. And what he told me, they were reps of 15. They probably do it five, six times. Just needed to have the football in his hand 75 more times. And yeah. never hits yeah. the ground with those two guys. And, you know, so we could just make it a Tuesday, uh, you know, chat yeah. with Chris Olave while he catches some extra footballs. But yeah. Yeah, and G. Scott Jr. for that matter. That's right. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and, so, and he's starting to see it too. You can see um, 
I think there were maybe two calls that were designed for to go to him on Saturday um, to, to digress. Um, G Scott, I, there's a lot to like about what he can do at that tight end position. And yep. as that comes along, like, I think you can start to see some of the light uh, in that position change coming on. He's like a lot of other people. He is five weeks of this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not yeah. a finished product, but that's another, yet another piece of this puzzle that's coming together for Ohio State. Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking, I remember, you know, I did a story on Chris Carter way back when, you know, I think it was his junior year or uh, anyway. And I did sort of how he actually catches the football, you know, because he was a hands hands guy, but as he pointed out, it wasn't hands guy. He was a fingertips guy, meaning catch the ball with your fingertips, you know, let the ball settle in, you know, his hands were like catcher's mitts. Uh, <laughs> it was amazing. You know, the ball, some guys just had that great reaction and Chris Olave is one of those guys that could just like, you can throw the ball as hard as you want to at him. He probably would rather you do that, you know, because it just <laughs> settles in there. It hardly makes a noise, you know, that's what Chris Carter was, you know, you throw me a ball and it sounds like I am catching a baseball in the, you know, in in the pocket, you know, pop. But uh, but I digress. By the way, speaking of selflessness, I think Haskell Garrett got credit for that uh, extra point block, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, I'm doing a piece. I'm going to do a piece for us. I'm promising you this uh, this week on just him. And after a team is just, you know, it kind of embarrassed you. You got all the all the hatches batting down. All of a sudden, they run one play that, you know, just reminds you, yes, there's still a bit of a little bit of work to be done on the defense, you know, to have that perfect performance, which by the way, will never happen uh, in college football. It doesn't even happen for Georgia. I think Arkansas got some yards, <laughs> but, uh, but Haskell Garrett, the hell with you, man. He went right up the middle and blocked the extra point. I mean, he didn't go, Oh man. I mean, yeah. that's a special leader right there, man, who kind of showing the way by his actions and, uh, I'm going to get into that this week. I hope, I hope, uh, just talking about that. But yeah, that's that's one of those moments like you talked about about this game. You know, yeah, it was 52 to 13 over Rutgers, who Ohio State's always scored what 45 or 50 on since they came into the Big Ten. But it was a different kind of 52 to 13. It was an eye opener, and uh, I, I got a sense it's it's just the opening of of seeing something that's going to get better. I mean, that's my take on it. And obviously Maryland coming to town after getting thumped by uh, Iowa from the middle of the second quarter on the other night when they lost the Demas kid to that unfortunate gruesome uh, injury. Uh, you know, Iowa may be another example. I mean, excuse me, Maryland may be another example of that. Uh, I'm really getting ahead of myself talking about Iowa there. <laughs> but you know where I'm going with that. But the, but the bottom line is uh, uh, this is a team. I'm talking about Ohio State you can see the growth. I mean, it's right in front of you if, you, if you're paying attention, right? Yeah, and I think that that makes this week a different, uh, you know, maybe subtly, maybe maybe more clearly, I don't know, different challenge for Ryan Day where, yeah. okay, they've seen the, the fruits of that labor. They got a blowout win when, when maybe there was an opportunity where it could have been tougher just based on the week before for Rutgers. Like Michigan is a different – excuse me, Maryland is a different situation. That team just got blown out and Ohio State – is probably feeling much better about itself this week. So yeah. now you're getting back to more of that. All right, well, Ryan Day says you've played four or five games. You're no longer a freshman. All right? So that means that the expectation is you're the Big Ten favorites. That team just lost. You don't get to skip it. You have still don't – you have still have no margin for error in the college football playoff race. You cannot lose a game. you got to go out and back that up with another strong performance. So uh, that's – that's going to be up to Ryan Day what message he thinks his team needs because 
this is still going to be a new experience for them. Yeah. We're talking about, yeah. you know, for Cameron Martinez or Denzel Burke. Okay, great. You, you just went on the road and won by 39. Well, now you have to go at home and play against a team that's, that's reeling and, and stung and hurt. And they, they still want to ruin your season uh, and, and, and get some revenge and take it out on you. And you're, you know, see how they handle that. I think that that's interesting this week. Yeah. I mean, go out and play like you, Go out and play like you are who – go out and play like who you think you are or who – you know, go out and show you are that team now, you know, that you are that rising team. I think that's the main message is just, right. you know, who cares who you're playing. Like you said, if you're playing air, go out and play like you're a contender, you know. I mean, like you're one of the teams to uh, to, to be considered, you know, as this season goes on. I agree with you. Hey, real quick, uh, uh, as you – and let's make this quick uh, – you can make it as quick as you want. I don't care. Uh, you're fly, you'll be flying. When I hand the controls to you, you've got the plane, you know. Uh, uh, Ohio State jumps back to seventh in the country now. Yeah. Um, Cincinnati is sitting right there. We all – you know what we both think about Luke Fickle, man. Good Ooh. thoughts, right? Yep. Uh, maybe the greatest win in Cincinnati football, University of Cincinnati football history, in my opinion, on Saturday at Notre Dame. Uh from what I've seen, I mean, I can remember since they even back in the Greg Cook years, uh, et cetera. So uh, I, I go back a long way just remembering about Cincinnati. But uh, is Cincinnati now, in your mind, legit contender for a college football playoff berth if they run the table? And will that be someone a one-loss Ohio State might have to put its uh, resume up against? Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that has to be – in the conversation, uh, I don't know on October 4th or 5th, uh, yeah. you know, how that's all going to transpire because it's the strength of schedule. Now Cincinnati has, you know, some wins to point to, but they might already have, you know, that will be the best one they have. Right. They're going to have to rely on, we've seen Notre Dame previously already this season, uh, struggling in some opportunities and, and not looking like a dominant force. And, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Cincinnati's resume, and I won't. And what you said about Luke Fickle uh, goes double for me. I, you know, I, you've known him way longer, but um, he's been great to me. I love talking to him. Uh, I think he's a fantastic coach, and what he's built is remarkable. You put those two teams on the same field, if we're talking about Ohio State and Cincinnati, um, in December, I don't – you know, I struggle to think that Cincinnati is a team that – would get an edge over a one loss big 10 champion Ohio state to get in the field, even if they're unbeaten, which I think that they can could and should be by then. Um, but yeah, if you're sitting here talking about a possible scenario, that's, that's going to be a concern because Ohio state did this to himself by losing a game to Oregon. Yeah. Um, you put that in, in, in play for somebody else to take that spot. So many other things are going to have to happen, but yeah. you know, if you're asking the question is that, a concern. I don't think Cincinnati's going to lose um, to anybody that's left on their schedule. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know if you put them down at the end of the year with what Ohio State now has ahead of them with um, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, potentially Iowa. Yeah. You add that to their resume as a one loss. I, you know, undefeated Cincinnati's not going to be able in any of those categories. Best win. Any of that. The only one that they would have is the zero in the loss column. Sometimes that's enough for the committee. We've seen that play out before. 
Yeah. Sometimes that can be the trump card, but everything else would point if Ohio State wins out that I just, you know, they're not going to get trumped because they have so many good opportunities ahead of them. Snapshot right now, snapshot right now of college football, the Big Ten East is by far the toughest uh, division in football. Yep. Over anybody in the SEC, I'm talking about divisional, divisionally speaking, when you just name the names you just named off there, Michigan State, Michigan, and Penn State, all the way to Ohio State, you know, down the road. So those are what you call resume enhancers times two. If, in fact, those guys keep winning or, you know, and only beat each other or whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. Cincinnati's last resume builder, it can put on its real resume where people go, wow, is if they now go undefeated, you know, whereas Ohio State can go un, can go undefeated from or go can win out from here and then enhance it with like four big time wins. When you think if Iowa was going to be in that Big Ten championship game, yeah, it's still a tough tough road to hoe for uh, for Cincinnati. But Ben, you know, you got to give it up to them for scheduling a Big Ten team. Yeah, you can say Indiana. Indiana was the second or third best team in the Big Ten last year. You know, and uh, and then Notre Dame, uh, you got to give up to them for scheduling that just to show, hey, at least pay attention to us. Right. Yeah. And you have you, you definitely give them credit for winning those scheduling them and playing them and winning them. And I think that's one reason why when we've looked at this before. That's a team that deserves to have room in the playoff. Why eight uh, seems to make so much more sense because there's no. You know, Cincinnati doesn't have anything else to prove to show that it's a top eight team in the country. Yeah. Uh, and and what it did when it got into a New Year's Six Bowl game, uh, it didn't finish the deal, but it showed that it could hang on the same field um, as Georgia nearly won that game. Not the same Georgia that's playing right now, but doesn't yeah. matter. You know, and certainly if they'd won that game, that would have stuck in people's minds as well. You know, does Cincinnati have enough to go toe-to-toe two weeks in a row when their roster is not built to the same level? as these powerhouse, uh, best team in the Big Ten, the top teams in the SEC, you know, I don't think so. But, you know, wouldn't it be cool if they got a chance to prove it? I, I, I don't believe that the committee, when it comes down to it and it's looking at the way it's shaking out right now, Alabama, Georgia, if Ohio State handles its business, if Oklahoma doesn't actually mess around and lose one of these games that it's trying to. yes. I think we can rule the Pac-12 back out of this conversation. And the ACC is now essentially done as well. If this is the best opportunity that Cincinnati will have. It's got everything really that it could have asked for in terms of a path to be in the top four. Um, but when it came down to it, and if, they, and if the committee had to choose just between Ohio State and Clemson, or, sorry, Cincinnati, yeah. Clemson, you're gone. Uh, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think they're going to – I don't think they're going to kick – Ohio State to the curb in, in favor of the Bearcats. But, you know, who knows? There's so yeah. much football to be played. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting dynam- dynamic that's at work because Luke Fickle, let's not forget how down that program was before he got there and the rise what he's built is really impressive. Um, people, anybody who wrote him off in 2011, I hope they're paying attention to what he's doing 10 years later. Yeah, no kidding, man. I mean, we've, we've discussed that a few times the cards he was dealt and had to play and uh, et cetera in that 2011 season, not the least of which was only getting to hire one guy. And that was to replace him. A guy who's now the uh, Tennessee Titans head coach. Got an eye for talent. He does have an eye for talent. That's for damn sure. I mean, 
And, uh, but anyway, Hey, real quick, uh, before we go, uh, we've touched on Maryland. I, I think, you know, I mean, Ohio state as we speak right now is a 19 and a half point favorite in this game. I think that's legit. Don't you? Yes. And all right. Now I wanted to ask you, if you had a vote, I don't vote in the AP poll, but I did a long time ago. Uh, but if you had a vote in a poll this week, would you have voted Ohio state ahead of Oregon? I'm, I'm telling you what, I, w- I would not have voted Ohio State ahead of Oregon yet, uh, just based on the way Oregon just blew that game the other day with some really mind-numbing kind of like things that happened. And number two, the fact that Oregon played at Ohio State at uh, 9 a.m. It's, it, it's time and uh, delivered the victory. You know, I, I don't, I'm, from, I'm not mistaken, Oregon never trailed against Ohio State, right? Now, that was a long time ago. Uh, Definitely a long time ago defensively in defensive years for the Ohio State staff. Uh, but uh, this week I would not have, but I can see I can see the moment coming if Ohio State continues to improve like I do, like I'm seeing right now, like I have been seeing, uh, that I would make that switch, even though head-to-head uh, it was what it was. What's your take? Yeah, there comes a point um, in, in any season where you – when you're weighing all the factors and you have to say, if these two teams played again, would that outcome be the same? And I understand that you're trying, you know, some people have different approaches to it. You know, do you think that these are the most deserving teams or are you ranking the resumes? And in this case, those are separate because the trajectories of those two teams are so different. Yeah. So I don't know if at this particular week that, you know, Ohio state doesn't have a win as impressive as Oregon's win over Ohio State. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a tough – But obviously Ohio State went ahead of them I th- in one of the polls. I Maybe yeah. both. I, I you know, kind of paid well, the coach after that anymore. But go ahead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's the coaches that did that because they know how talented Ohio State is. And that's what you have to decide. If I'd sent the ballot in – and I, I was thinking about this when we were on the way back from, from New Jersey yesterday and I was talking to Berman Spencer about that. And just – I really think – you know, if those teams played a hundred times, that Ohio State probably would have won the other ninety-nine. They're, they're maybe, yeah, they, maybe the other ninety, maybe ninety out of a hundred. You know what I mean? You're right. I mean, stuff happens. Some yeah. of the stuff that happened in there, you know, yeah, there was a lot made about the throw that that C.J. Stroud to Garrett Wilson that could have, you know, tied oh, yeah. it up late. And like they blame, you know, there's some, not everyone, blames Stroud, even though you know it just. It was one arm and he had to adjust and like yeah. he wasn't able to get it there because of the pass rush. Like maybe is half a second more than that's different. That's just one play out of a hundred. Doesn't matter. Sure. Not, sure. Trying, not, not trying to make that case, but they're and they still only lost this game that we've talked about and made a bu- and led to a bunch of changes for Ohio State as if it was some sort of disaster. They lost by seven. I know. Uh, and yeah, the defense didn't play as well, but and this is the other crazy hypothetical. I said, well, what if you just moved the schedule around and you played Tulsa and Akron first and then Minnesota and Oregon? Would it have, would it have worked out that exact same way? Again, there's no way for us to know. Just the same way if I say 90 or 99 times that they beat Oregon. I, Ohio State is so talented. They weren't ready for that game. They didn't play. They didn't coach that well. They didn't play that well. Yep. They were young, and they made a bunch of mistakes. Oregon took advantage of that and won the game. But Ohio State is a better team than Oregon, and that's how this season will finish. I'm almost yeah. certain of that. Um, and they're going to continue on that rise. You don't, you don't get a do-over, but at some point 
that head-to-head result will stop mattering. And, yeah. and to your point, I don't know if I would have done that today, but at least in the next couple of weeks, there's no way that you could continue to justify having Oregon above Ohio State. It would have been interesting, though, and we'll get out of here after this. Uh, if Oregon had not happened, would the changes have been made on the defensive staff, the way they work? Because, you know, there's a good chance they would have beaten Akron, like you said, yeah. in Tulsa probably without those. Uh, it hastened something that, when in hindsight now, it looked like it had to be done. And, uh, you know, from standpoint, a, a lot of standpoints. But uh, sometimes things happen for a reason and happen. And then, like, you you know, the Virginia Tech game way back when, you know, I mean, they lead to good things down the road after you swallow the bitter pill, right? And that's what, you know, a lot of the talk about 2014 and Virginia Tech is just about, well, they – Virginia Tech threw a defense at Ohio State that they weren't prepared for. Well, yeah, but it was also uh, a retooled offensive line that wasn't fully prepared for that. It was uh, a quarterback making his second start there. Yeah. And it was – Parallels. Yeah, it was the third loss in four games. So, you know, that never happened again in in Urban Meyer's tenure. And they had to sit there and say, well, what what caused this? What do we need to correct? What – what is actually okay and was just a product of one night? Like JT had, uh, I'm trying to think, there was that one swing pass that was wide open. It was just out of reach. Like that game could have gone differently. Oh, yeah. yeah. One play, right man. Yeah, so they weren't like blowout losses with massive problems. But but there had to be introspection and self-evaluation and, and, a, and say, hey, is this the path that will lead to a championship? Um, we There are things from the last several games that don't add up. Same thing happened to this one. And so, you know, it, we don't want to use it as hindsight to say, well, that was the turning point. But you could see it at the moment that Ryan Day said, all right, well, this can't happen again. Yeah. The defensive thing, you know, all that has to be addressed and evaluated and changed moving forward. So, yeah, you know, I think that that's, that's what they've done. And you said this after Tulsa, uh, and we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks here, like it's going it, to – it will come for them. I didn't see it in week one, but certainly after three weeks of it, it's it, that seems clear, at least to me. Yeah. Well, you know, this week's game is the turtle versus the hare. The hare being the Buckeyes, the turtle being the Terps. I mean, they've embraced that turtle thing, which is very interesting. Sure have. Uh, terrapin. Uh, but I digress. Awesome. Thanks for joining me again on the Tim May podcast on this nonstop sort of transcontinental adventure we take every week. Uh, and by the way, we still serve uh, we still serve dinner to our passengers, <laughs> at least in first class, right? We haven't let that go. I don't know how good it tastes, but we'll yeah. try and get roosters to uh, cater all these flights moving forward. Well, if it's roosters, man, give me some of the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low key when it comes to roosters. Give me some of the uh, tater tots and the mini corn dogs, and I'm a happy camper. But, uh, but I, once again, I digress. Awesome. Thanks for joining me again, my man. Anytime, buddy. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back to talk about Ohio State versus Maryland and looking ahead to the off week. I know he's going to play a lot of golf. I know I'm going to play a lot of golf that week and talk football. We always, we're always talking football even when we're playing golf. Isn't that right, Awesome? That's, hey, 365, baby. What a life, you know, as Dane Sonsenbacher said to me the other day. And I go, yeah, you're exactly right, my friend. Semi-retired <laughs> is the way to live. But you know what? Until next week. For Awesome Ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.